Matthew chapter 5. And Stephen, could I ask you a special favor? Could you get me one of those little bottles of water off the refrigerator upstairs and bring it here, please? I am still breathing some dust from the wall. So um, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And we are going to try to reach a momentous point in our Bible study tonight in the next 35 minutes. And that is finish chapter 5. We're going to try. Uh, I'm not promising, but we are going to try. Now, we've spent the last two Thursday nights on this passage here about turning the other cheek, loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, well, actually, we're getting into that part there. And uh, the idea here is, and let's just keep this in the context here, is as Jesus says, resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We are dealing with three situations where there is a legal right of redress. That means not only has the person, uh, well, let me put it this way. The person who is doing the smiting has a legal right of redress to that. That means rightly or wrongly, you have done something wrong to allow yourself to be put into that situation. The same thing. You don't get sued in a court of law and a judgment issued against you normally unless you've done something wrong as well. And sometimes we do wrong things that are just, um, how shall we say, negligent or silly or or we've allowed ourselves to be put into a situation because of our lack of diligence. We weren't paying attention to what was going on, and we got in trouble. You ever had that happen? I, I mean, that happens a lot. And what we need to understand is, and the right of compelling to go a mile, that was a legal law of the land. These are all things that are in this context. It's not. You're walking down the street and some stranger comes up and goes, bam, now give me all your money. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. We put it in the context, agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way, lest you end up in court, unless you lose your judgment, unless you are the one that gets into trouble don't always depend upon the legal system and your rights to get you out of the problem. This is what Jesus is talking about. Christians, historically, have been the most persecuted, maligned, and punished group of people since the days of Jesus Christ. Now, if we go back before the days of Jesus, then there weren't Christians, so it would be the Jewish people. But these, they're the dirtiest word in medieval Europe. Does anybody know what that was? Anabaptist. Do you know what you are as a member of this church? 
historically, you're connected to that group. Literally, there is no... If you wanted to call someone the most profane, vile thing that you could do, you would call them an Anabaptist, whether they were or not. Just the inference was bad. A little child, if you said that, you were going to get your mouth slapped and get it washed out with soap. Uh, that was, and that is who we are. It does not do someone who is a member of that group running around waving a banner, I'm a Christian, I have my rights. That's not how we get things done. Amen. That's not Jesus' way of operating. They want to give and, and rightly so, humanly speaking, the two most important people destroying the Iron Curtain, Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher. They want to give Pope John Paul all the credit for everything that went on in the religious world, but I tell you, he had very little responsibility, not near what the underground church had not near what people who were bringing Bibles into Russia, not near what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of people under communism who were reading the Bible and finding that was one of the main forces that brought the destruction of the Soviet Empire. You fight God, which Soviet Empire claimed to do, you're going to lose. And you say, but... but uh, you don't seem to be so worried about all these things that are going on in our society today. Well, that's why I'm not. You fight God, you're going to lose. Now, we all are going to suffer if, if we lose, but uh, if they lose, because they're the government. But let's just keep serving God. Amen? Let's understand that the reason socialism has always failed because it's a war against God. You, you can't fight God and win. But you're not going to, as a Christian, win the battle by running around and waving your banner. Uh, you're going to give them something to take aim at. You, are, we still, are we still together here? I mean, these are deep philosophical things that people argue about, but... Jesus spoke about them in his Sermon on the Mount, did he not? He says, listen, as a Christian, as a believer in me, don't go trying to tell society what to do. I've got a better way. Don't think you're going to fight out your Christianity in the courts. That's why I don't get excited about all of these people who say, we're going to get all these Christian politicians and we're going to... Hey, it, how long has it been since Roe versus Wade? 1973, over 50 million babies murdered in this nation alone. We've had Ronald Reagan as our president. We've had George Bush the first who claimed to be a Christian. George Bush Jr., who truly was uh, a Bible-believing Christian in many aspects, 
Um, and yet, they're not, you're not going to fight it in the courts and in the Congress. That's good. We should always vote in, in, in that direction, but let me tell you where it's going to be fought. You win these young people to the Lord. Teach them the Bible. And there won't be a need for abortion. Amen? You want to deal with the sodomites right group? You win people to the Lord. And we won't have, that's non-topical for the Christian. Amen? And yes, all these things are coming down around us, but listen, Jesus is coming back. Let's be faithful till he comes back. That is our goal. Amen? And so we're going to pick up right where we left off. But let's just read the whole thing. Verse 38, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. That does not mean you help the devil. Amen? Amen? Okay, I want to make sure I was in the right church. We're not helping the devil. All right? Verse Thirty and nine, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. Humble yourself. Amen. And if a man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Verse 42, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Now, I have heard this from many different things that, you know, you see the homeless guy begging on the street, you're supposed to give him money. Well, let's, let's put this in context. If it's in the subway system and you're riding on the subway car and they're begging money, if you give them money, you are breaking the laws of the, of the city of New York. Does God want us to break laws? Absolutely not. We're, uh, you're not to break the speeding law. You're not to break the assault law. You're not to break the begging law. And by the way, don't you beg on the subways. Amen? Um, I knew that would get a little snicker, but uh, we're not supposed to do those things because it's against the law. Now, one of the things that I have done over the years, and, and I've encouraged and, and we probably need to get a little more formal about this here at our church, but... Listen, I've, I meet someone who, uh, who's not breaking the law. They are legally asking for help in a place where they're able to do so. What I've often done is stopped and said, Listen, can I buy you some food? Nine times out of ten, I don't need food. I need money. I need rent. I need... Now, if you need rent... Are you going to get it on the street corner, my friend? You're not going to get rent on the street corner. But you can get liquor money on the street corner, can't you? 
You can get your drug money on the street corner. These two requests here about lending and giving are in the context of the other three examples that Jesus has given us. And we as a church have on occasion lent and given to people who have needed it. Amen? And, and we do that. Uh, we have very rarely given cash to anyone unless they've been a, uh, I remember one issue, and we try not to make any issues, but you remember the uh, Danny family back several years ago, the, they were on strike. There was no income coming in. There was, uh, everything hadn't kicked in. And we, we gave, took up an offering and gave to them to buy groceries. And, and our people were very generous when Ted and Sharon had needs and before they left. There were many people in this church that gave. This is what this is talking about. Let's turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. And this is talking about faith here. It says, if a, verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, if a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked, to, naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Now that doesn't mean that we need to stand on the corner and look for every person that has a need and give them money. But there are people that do have needs. And as a church, we should reach out to them. Amen? But I don't see anywhere in the Bible, nor can I find any commandment in the Bible, that we should help a homeless person be more comfortable in their homelessness. True love and compassion is trying to help them out of that situation. Amen? To buy someone's alcohol for them who is addicted to alcohol is not loving them or caring for them. It is pushing them out of the way and ignoring them and actually adding to their problem. If a person who is addicted to these things and has given all of their money and are destitute, if no one gave them money, then they couldn't buy the drugs or the alcohol or the pornography or whatever addiction there happens to be. And out of necessity, they would have to stop their behavior unless they choose to break the law by stealing and doing other things. But you know what often happens? They find somebody who will give it to them. Oh, you're my friend. You help me. 
we had a person that would call us up and and uh, say, "Oh, I'm in I'm in desperate need. I have no food in the house. Uh, and could you loan me until certain day?" And it was a person that had attended a couple of services and and found out that and no one here would even know who it is unless I told you who it is and I'm not going to uh, found out that there was a reason why there was more month at the end of the money it was cigarettes and after about six or eight big long speeches they quit calling that you know it's hard for us to loan you money so that you can buy your cigarettes. That's what's really going on now, isn't it? And I would get, well, pastor, I'm trying. And I, I, would, I said, okay, as long as you're trying, we'll help you. But then it was, well, I'm still trying. I don't think you're trying very hard, are you? Well, I'm going to do better. Okay, well, after, like I said, a dozen or more times of that, it got to the point to where I'm not going to bother you anymore. Well, we wish you would get better and you would change and we'll do everything we can to help you change. There's been people said, I just can't quit. I said, okay, we're going to do something to quit. And we developed a program, made them accountable, made life absolutely miserable. I'm good at that. It's a gift. And you know what? It wasn't just a couple of months that that person stopped smoking cigarettes. You say, I didn't know anything about that. You weren't supposed to. Amen? And you still don't know who I'm talking about. But you see, this is what is being spoken of here. Amen? There's got to be an obligation there. There's got to be a connection just like there is in the first three. And... When we give to help somebody, you ever met anybody? Yeah, I'd be glad to help you. Let's see, you're going to need that money for three weeks at 18.6%. I mean, that's the market rate. I mean, we'll figure this. Uh, if you have family like that, don't. Uh, or somebody you know that does things like that. There's always strings attached. That's not the Christian way of doing things. Amen? As a Christian, what we want to do is help people out of sin. Amen? And these are what these verses are speaking about. If you just tell somebody, be warmed and filled, what good have you done? It reminds me of something I heard today on the radio. Uh, you don't have to worry about health care. There's going to be, it's, the whole problem's going to be solved at the end of the year. Did anybody else hear that? It was a promise made by the President of the United States today. We don't have to worry about health care. He said if we add people to the system, we're going to run out of money. So he's going to come up with a new system. You say, you sound sarcastic. I'm sorry. I am extremely sarcastic. I don't believe him. Uh, if it were that simple, somebody else would have done it. You need to pray for our president. 
because anyone that takes that simplistic view of such a serious problem is going to get our country into serious trouble. That's why we need to pray. Amen? If it were that simple for the homeless man to cease being homeless, there would be no homeless people. It's a struggle. We've done things in the past. We've told people, listen, you're homeless. You want to get right with God? You want to come to church? You've you got a lot of things you're going to have to straighten out. But I'll tell you what, you can come and take a shower in the church Saturday night before church so you don't stink when you come Sunday morning and nobody will know that you're homeless. But you've you got to get these things straightened out. We, we don't have money. that We can just put you up in a shelter and do all of these things. That's what the government does, and it doesn't solve one problem, does it? will help you struggle through this thing. We've had a couple occasional takers, but no one wants to go through the whole thing because it's tough. It's difficult. It's almost impossible without God. Amen? And so these are the issues here, and we want to obey the Bible, and we want to do the things that God commands us, but... We're not going to make excuses. One of the commentaries I read was hilarious. He said, this verse is a true example of obeying the spirit and not the letter of what Jesus said. Do you get what the commentator was saying? He said, we don't need to pay attention to really what Jesus said because it doesn't make a bit of sense, but it's the spirit that's important. Woo! What intelligence in deep exegesis of the biblical languages that that person went through to come up with that one. Any politician can come up with something that simple. What we're trying to do is go through the Bible and come up with what Jesus was actually saying. It's not just a simple thing because Jesus is not dealing with simple things here. These are some of the most complex issues you're going to have to deal with as a human being. I've told people that have called up. I said, listen, I said, you make it very difficult on me as a pastor. I've never met you. I have no idea who you are. I don't know why you're in the trouble that you're in. And yet you want our church to write you a check for hundreds of dollars to help pay your rent. I said, honestly, I said, we get calls like this all the time. I could sell the building and within a month the money would be all gone and there wouldn't be a church and there wouldn't be anything. The best help we can give you is that continued help that's going to change your soul and allow you to rebuild your life in such a way that you can live for God and live on your own. And you know what the answer is? So you're not going to give me any money? No. Our church does not give cash to anyone who's not a member of the church in need. Why do we do that? Because God's given us an obligation to do good, not to help people wrong. Amen? This is what Jesus is speaking here. And he's going to take it one step further. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. And we still might get this done. 
Verse 43, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth his reign on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now, how many of you remember our study in the book of Hebrews? We spent weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on Hebrews chapter 6 talking about Christian perfection. And it is totally in the face of everything that everybody else writes because the Bible is not what everybody else says. You can have perfection here on earth. But it's not sinless perfection. It is not perfect holiness. It is God's definition of being perfect, and right here it is. He said, listen, I'm summing this whole thing up. What are the two great commandments? Anybody remember? Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, all thy might. And the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Now, I didn't quote that exactly perfect, but pretty close. Give you a chance to your homework assignment, find the verse and read it for yourself. Amen. Um, Jesus is saying here, I'm summing this whole thing up. This is the issues of the law. He says, you've heard it said in an old time. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there any commandment in the Bible, thou shalt hate thine enemy? No. There really isn't. Now, there were people that God said, you are to be, as Israel, you are be, to be the messengers of my judgment against this people. What did God say about the Canaanites? He says, you're not to make treaties with them. You're not to marry them. When you go into a city and you take it, you're to destroy every living thing in the city. That's what this verse is talking about. And people read it. And they, uh, uh, I included the references. Uh, reference here, do, uh, Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. God says, I'm going to wipe out the memory of Amalek forever. What was one of the first things he sent King Saul to do? He said, I want you to get the armies of Israel, and we're going to take care of this thing. Now, how many years had they lived under the judges? They wandered in the wilderness 40 years. They had lived under the judges for about uh, over, just a little over 300 years. And now they have a king. It's going to be 400 and some odd years from the time Solomon builds the temple. So we're going back. Uh, 40 years King David. 
38 years King Saul. Subtract that from 400, and you got a little over 300 years there. God didn't forget, and he sent Saul to destroy Agag and the Amalekites. And what did they do? They saved the best of the animals for sacrifice, and they saved the king and, and all of this. And there, God brought judgment and refused Saul for being king. He spent the last 38 years of his 40 years of being king out of God's will. That's a scary thought in and of itself, is it not? Leviticus chapter 19, and let's, let's turn there. Leviticus chapter 19. And let's look at verse, oh, let's, uh, um, let's start verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now, this is the commandment. He said, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. Does anybody remember Jesus' response? When the scribe, the lawyer, asked him, who is my neighbor? The story of the good Samaritan was Jesus' response. We are to help those in need. Amen? The greatest way you can help a person is to give them the gospel, is to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you buy a hungry man a hamburger so he'll listen to the gospel, you've not injured yourself or the gospel at all. Amen? But if you build a hospital to heal the sick and don't give the people the gospel as many missionaries do today, we give water irrigation, we teach them how to grow crops and we teach them how to organize their tribe into a society and we teach them all these wonderful things, but we don't give them the gospel anymore. That's why our missionaries are missionaries whose main goal is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people which they go. Amen? Would that hurt for you to work the same thing we expect our missionaries to do as we walk through life? That wouldn't hurt us a bit, now would it? That is how we love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, because the world is our neighbor. Amen? And when they make themselves our enemies, the greatest thing we can do is give them and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? And even though they vow to be our enemies, bless them that curse you. Realize that if you are living your life for Jesus Christ, 
the reason they are cursing you is because of your service to Jesus Christ. What did God tell Samuel? He said, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. Why are you upset, Samuel? I'm the one that should be upset. That's what God was telling Samuel. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want God mad at anybody? I would hope not. How can we bring peace? Remember, blessed are the peacemakers. How can you help bring peace into somebody's life? They got to get it settled between them and God before they can settle between them and anyone else. Amen? Isn't it interesting how, if you deal with yourself and God, that he solves a lot of other problems? Just really does. Allows you to drop the burdens and not worry about these things. Do good to them that hate you. It is amazing how much good can be done. But let me, well, we don't have time to get into that tonight, but just think about this. America sends billions and billions of dollars all over the world. Doesn't always do good just to throw money at a problem, doesn't it? Sometimes you've got to do something. By the way, if your faith doesn't work, doesn't produce something, it's dead. And dead faith don't... Dead faith it doesn't save you. Dead faith doesn't do anything. If your faith is real, it's going to do something. Amen? Now, here's one thing I came up with this years ago. If you... Love your friends, which you do already. And you love your enemies. There ain't nobody left to hate, is there? And yet, if every one of us in this room came up with a list of people who irritate us, we could, we could all come up with a list, now couldn't we? Well, let's, right here, let's go through the list. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Anybody remember the story of Stephen? He prayed for them as they were killing him. He was following Jesus' example, wasn't he? One of the things that just bewildered the Romans... They just could not understand it. One of the reasons why they persecuted Christians so violently and so long was that someone who would stand there as you were feeding them to the lions, literally, and they were praying for Caesar. They said, you've got to be perverse beyond perverse. You're not cursing us. And so they said, whatever's wrong with you, we've got to get out of our empire. Do you see the perverted reasoning there? But that's part of the reason why the Romans hated the Christians is because they could not understand. No matter what we do, they won't give this Jesus guy up. You've got to be bewitched. I mean, there's got to be something really bad going on. No, it's something really good. 
but the Roman mind and government couldn't comprehend and refused to comprehend. And by the way, Constantine the Great, he wasn't a Christian either. He didn't get baptized until just a few months before he died because he wanted all of his sins to be washed away, uh, which happens when you get baptized, according to Emperor Constantine, which means you're trusting in the water to save you and the church that baptizes you and not Jesus, which means you miss heaven altogether. So the first Christian emperor was not a Christian. Let's keep moving. It, here is Christian perfection if you want it. And we got 30 seconds here. I think we'll get it done. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Aren't you glad that the sun shines all over the earth? That's God's goodness, is it not? Well, we as Christians can just be good. No exceptions. Amen? You don't fight fire with fire at work. You trust God. You don't try to solve the world's problems like the world tries to solve its problems. Amen? You do it God's way. If you salute only those, if you love them that only love you. Now, isn't that the standard operating procedure? It says, you're not imitating God, you're imitating the world. When you care about everybody, then you're perfect as a Christian. That's what Christian perfection is. It's that simple. You say, but how do I care about everybody? Well, the Bible says, listen, you've got to provide honestly for your family. If you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel and you're denied the faith. So you got to work. But if you don't give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, guess what? You're not Christian. You're not living in Christian perfection. If you're working, God's going to bring you into contact with people in your life and you can care about them and give them the gospel. And you don't have to be Mr. Obnoxious John and everybody... Did I, t I think I told the story about Obnoxious, the fellow that everybody in this huge factory knew was a Christian and he was a jerk. Uh, I think I told that story recent history. Does anybody remember that? But, I mean, he was, it was, it was unbelievable. He went, he, he, if you walked into this guy, he was, he looked like some leftover thing from years gone past. He was really strange. And he would just tower over you at about six foot three and look at you with very dark eyes and you're going to hell. Oh, I go to church. It doesn't matter. You go, and, and this is how he would witness to people. That's not what the Bible's saying.
That's not how you love somebody. Amen? You've got to work at loving people. That's Christian perfection. How many of you want to be perfect? Love people. Amen? You say, but I can't love everybody. Don't worry about everybody. God didn't call you to worry about everybody. There's six billion people on the face of the earth. You're not going to have a chance to meet them all. I'm sorry. But care about the ones you do meet? Care about the ones you can care about? Amen? Give gospel tracts to the ones that you can give gospel tracts to? Amen? Don't look at somebody with orange and purple and green hair and say, I'm not giving a track to that one. I've watched some big biker dudes run away scared like little girly men when I offer them a gospel track. That's funny. And I've seen other ones. Hey, thanks. And walk off. Now, what they're going to do with it, I have no clue, but hey, I remember just one quick story, a fellow that came to New York City and all he could do was point out to me all of the bad people he saw on the street. He said, that's a drug dealer over there. He said, that, that's a prostitute over there. And I finally, after several days of this, I said, you know something? I said, I don't know as much about this city. We'd only been here a few years and I said, I, I apparently don't know near as much about this city or the people in it as you do. I said, but what I've tried to do is I just give gospel tracts to everybody. I'm not worried about what they are or what they're doing. And he looked at me really weird. He said, but, but don't you care? I said, you know something? If I'm giving a tract to somebody because I think they're a drug dealer, don't you think he's going to figure out that I think he's a drug dealer by the way I give him a track? But if I do it in my ignorance just because I'm trying to give the gospel to people, don't you think they're going to realize that too? Amen? That's Christian perfection. I'm not worried about you because of what color you are or how many different ways you can dye your hair and spike it in different directions. The neatest thing I've ever seen in all my time in New York City, I, I almost like to get one sometime. I don't know. I'd never wear it, but just look at it. was a knit hat. And the person who knit the hat used a multicolored purple yarn and put the mohawk in the hat. And I said, that's cool. Now you got your mohawk and you can go to work and take it off and look like a real human being. That, I mean, if you want to make a statement, boy, that's the way to do it. Knit a hat, amen? Now, please don't do that for me, all right? But I, I actually saw a lady standing at the bus stop and she had this really tight purple thing and almost looked like a helmet. But it was made out of knit, and the mohawk was right there, right down the middle, all the way down the back. It was pretty. That's the coolest thing I've seen. I mean, 
If, if somebody wants to start a fad, that would be a good one. I mean, it'll... Um, the only thing I, I was driving, so stopping and trying to hand that person a track would have not been. Uh, we need to care about people. Amen. One of the most hurtful things about this new quote unquote church that's out there. And I've had pastors sit me down and say, you got to understand you're doing a lousy job at marketing. And I just looked at him and said, I intend to. He says, you don't understand. That's why you don't have people. What is marketing? How many people here know what marketing is? It is targeting people with your message. That's what marketing is. You can't be perfect and market Jesus. Because Christian perfection is just caring about everyone God brings into your path and not locking yourself at home so there's nobody in your path, okay? That makes sense? That's Christian perfection. You say, but that's too easy. If it were hard, none of us would get there. And we would be just like the world. We make it an excuse not to serve God. There's no excuse not to be a perfect Christian. Just care about every person God puts in your path. Upon these hang the law and the prophets. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful things that are in it. We ask now that you would help us not to only understand these things, but to live them. To be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll just